curious little passage at the end of chapter 20. It comes, I guess, at the end of uh, a number of quite challenging interactions in chapter 20, where Jesus' authority is questioned. People are kind of saying, yeah, but come on, yeah, talk, talk about that and just show us if you really got the authority that you seem to think that you have. And each time Jesus comes back to them and demonstrates in different ways just who he is and the authority that he has. And he doesn't hold back in replying. He doesn't set out to make any friends in some of his replies because at times he's very, very pointed towards those who are in authority, religious leaders, who, as he speaks in in the end of, of this little passage, verses 45 through 47, he makes it pretty plain. There are people here who love to make a big show. They love to make it look like they are the ones to be listened to. And he gives a warning, a stern warning, that if that's all there is to them, they will be punished most severely because they've got the wrong end of the stick. See, these these teachers of the law, they're trying to, to figure God out by their own understanding. They're trying to keep God boxed into their own way of thinking and seeing and acting. It's a little bit like three blindfolded people all stood beside an elephant and, and, and feeling the elephant, and describing what they feel. And so one of them maybe stood at the tail, a bit dangerous, I suppose, but stood at the tail and sort of feels the tail and describes, well, this thing in front of us is kind of a, well, it's got a kind of a long, skinny thing. I can get my hands right around and, and mm, yeah, and all it's got a little bit at, at the end that's a bit different and, and so on. And then there's one down the other end by the trunk and is describing this kind of, kind of, Oh, it's a bit like a tree trunk, but it it kind of moves quite a bit and and it'll have me over if I'm not careful. And then there's one in the middle that's just putting its hands on the the flesh of the elephant. It's a bit kind of hairy, wiry hairs. And Well, that must be what an elephant is like. The teachers of the law are so close to the elephant. They've got their own view. And what Jesus is saying is to step back, see who I am. See who I am from my perspective. He quotes this bit of Psalm 110. Incidentally, in the book, in the As in Heaven book, is a little bit of a typo, um, because it says that it's Psalm 118. But uh, Liz Richardson spoke to me last Sunday and said, did you notice there's a typo? And so top marks for her for noticing there's a typo in there. But Psalm 110, a psalm that is actually often quoted in the New Testament. Matthew's Gospel uses it. In Acts, Peter speaks of it. It's in the book of Hebrews. 
And it's a psalm that's been attributed to David. Where David is saying, the Lord, and in, in the psalm, the Lord, that first bit is, is speaking of Yahweh. Says to my Lord, Adonai, the Messiah, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. See, in the Jewish people, King David was right up there. He, he was amazing. He was to be admired. He really was the king to look up to. And yet here was King David acknowledging that there was one greater than him to come. And the Jews would have seen this psalm as pointing towards the Messiah, towards one greater. And yet, verse 44, David calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? Culturally, it was completely unheard of that a son could be seen as greater than the father. Age was a big deal. I think we've kind of lost that in our culture, haven't we? I know my dad used to visit uh, South Korea regularly. And with his grey hair, he earned massive respect, even before he said or did anything. Because he was an elder. His grey hair gave him authority. And that was very much the culture of the ancient Near East, that, that just your years gave you authority and responsibility, I guess, too. But it was unheard of that a son could somehow be seen as senior to a father because he was the boy. He was the boy. So Jesus is pointing out that this, this pointing to a Messiah kind of turns things on its heads. See, the teachers of the law saw all of their significance and their importance in their position, in what they stood for in society. And they assumed, looking up close at the elephant, that the Messiah would follow in that kind of line of somebody that seemed to have all the trappings of authority. That he'd come as some kind of conquering king in their mould of understanding. You see, they had a rather confined and diminished understanding of who the Messiah would be. And yet they were missing something, these teachers of the law. Because throughout the Old Testament, the Messiah is pointed to. What is that phrase, Paul, that you used even on, on Tuesday night about the, the Old Testament pointing to the New and the New. What, what, what was that again? The New is in the Old Concealed. So all that goes on in the New Testament is there in the Old Testament, but it's 
concealed. And the the old is in the new revealed. I ought to be able to remember that really, didn't I? Maybe when I get back from holiday. But there's, there's something there. I mean, just take Isaiah 53, for example. Amazing picture of a suffering servant, of a lamb being led to the slaughter. These were scriptures that the teachers of the law knew, and yet they couldn't see that the Messiah maybe would defy all their categories. And so Jesus here is warning his disciples not to miss the point of who he is. Not to miss the point that he does break the mould and has been breaking the mould since he started his ministry. And pointing to the fact that actually the only way that the Messiah could be greater than King David was if indeed he was God himself embodied not some kind of diminished cooked up king figure in human terms but God himself it's where that illustration of the the balloon poorly made this morning perhaps but so often that's our our kind of understanding of God it's too small it's too confined we want to try and fit God into something that is is just not actually big enough so actually sometimes yeah we want to we want to pop the balloon And try and fit, fit God into our understanding nice and neatly so that we can kind of package him up and keep him in a box. But Jesus is here saying, uh-uh, I don't want to be packaged up. I'm not going to be packaged up. You need a bigger container. You need to open your eyes and open your hearts teachers of the law needed to see that. Maybe we need to see that this morning. That Jesus isn't to be squished into one little corner of our life. Shrink him down to our size so that he's convenient for us. Maybe we need to realise for the first time or maybe afresh that he is God. He died for us, as we'll remember in a few moments. He rose again and became the one who can bring us into his presence. In a sense, it's impossible to express all there is to express about Jesus. We sang that song that says he's indescribable, uncontainable. There's a lovely... um, attempt to, uh, to express this that I'd like us to, to listen to and watch of a, a, an old black preacher who is just trying to express something 
of the awesomeness and greatness of Jesus. Steve, would you be able to uh, play this for us? just awesome description of Jesus that these guys were missing. 
when we begin to take in those, those descriptions, when we begin to read in Scripture who Jesus is and what he's done, should our response not be all, utter all, that the God of creation came to us? Can we really be indifferent to Jesus? As we come to communion, I wonder, how do you see Jesus this morning? Is he kind of an insurance policy to make us feel that we've got a secure future? Is he a a good teacher who sets out all kinds of principles which are great, but they're kind of impossible for me to live by? Or is he Lord of your life? Is that your heart's desire to let him be king over your life? One before whom you'll place all the other stuff, whether it's important or not particularly important whether it's good or whether it's not so good, will you submit to him, remembering that he is God and he died for you? I want us, if at all possible, to approach communion with that sense of awe today. to picture that upper room where Jesus shared this meal with his first disciples. To try to picture what those first disciples were beginning to process and what they would see of Jesus' body being broken and his blood being shed in the, in the days that lay ahead. Let's take a moment just to be uh, quiet before God, before we come to communion. We're going to sing uh, a song that that helps us perhaps to try to prepare for, for communion.